0: Welcome to our Saturday simulcast. Uh, Tom Deanhart will join me for our first segment. We're going to do this in two or three segments today, uh, combined also with uh, uh, David Neff and Mark Carney from Boilermaker Aquatics. We'll have a little segment with with, uh, Elliot Bloom, talk about scheduling, and uh, Brian Newbert also will join us. So uh, it's all in advance of what will be one of the biggest days in Purdue basketball, just because the Boilermakers will be taking on Arizona this afternoon. 430. Tom, you well, it's a Purdue basketball for a, for a long time. And uh, it's not hyperbole when you think about it. Purdue has never played a number one team as a team when they were ranked this high 30. Yeah. They were ranked five, but a uh, lot of intrigue with that one. But uh, it's going to be a big time environment, I would think, in Indianapolis. I know we'll be in Indianapolis this afternoon.
1: Just too bad it's not a Mackey Arena, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's going to be, it's going to be, like yeah, I said a festive environment. The holidays are here. A lot of shoppers downtown, the culture playing that afternoon. Yeah. Too. So it's going to be, like I said, just kind of a fun atmosphere, like you described, Alan. And opportunity looms again for Purdue, right? You set up the the stage, I think, correctly. I mean, you, you know Purdue basketball and football history better than anybody on the planet. And huh. you know, like you said, this may be the biggest non conference matchup in Purdue basketball history. And I, I find it hard to believe you could find any, any argument for that. You know, yeah. one versus three. Purdue gets to test itself once again, Alan, against a top 10 opponent, in this case, the number one team in America, to further enhance a resume that I'd have to think, Alan, is without peer in America right now, given who Purdue has already beaten this year. Yeah,
0: it is going to be, it is exactly that. Arizona really really good we know that uh these are two teams that could could uh, see each other again in uh Chandler Arizona that would be i think both teams would be happy to take that notion if they could make it to the final four both one thing they do have in common a disappointing finish in the NCAA tournament last year Tommy Lloyd's and Lloyd and also Matt Painter trying to get that monkey off their back but they'll have to wait till till uh march to get that done but you've got a lot going on this is obviously a huge busy time it's head on a swivel time from a coaching standpoint from a coverage of the transfer portal recruiting coming in it is a moving target we know it's i think the number is what 21 have left Purdue's program and now Some are starting to come back in. Purdue's had uh, some really big uh, commitments or important commitments, especially on the offensive line, but kind of bring us up to date uh, at least. uh, And, again, this could all change in in a matter of time in terms of uh, new portal commitments. A lot going on with respect to that.
1: Yeah, you know, I all started last Friday, Alan, when uh, Joey yeah, from Notre Dame was the first player to commit to Purdue from the portal. Of course, a four-star recruit. Zionsville, indiana um interest I, I don't want to get off on a big tangent here but he's yeah. got an interesting backstory never played a snap at notre dame yeah it's uh, involved in a, an auto crash and sidelined him and he's been cleared and he wants to continue his, his career at purdue so very intriguing pickup allen and then of course on sunday there was, was a flurry of i believe four commitments three offensive linemen and a um uh, and a junior college defensive lineman as well so we all knew coming into this portal season, which opened December fourth, Alan, that the offensive line was a priority. Yeah. Purdue is dove head first into trying to address that. I think the kid from Ball State they got, you know, Corey Stewart, I I think he's a he's a starting caliber left offensive tackle, Alan. I wouldn't be surprised if he starts at left tackle. Maybe Marcus Bow can move inside. I think he's more of a natural guard anyway. Uh DJ Wingfield from New Mexico is another guy. Who may be a starting caliber guy at the very least, he'll be a good, a good depth guy too. So those those were two, I think, good gets early on, right out of the portal. And Alan Purdue continues to pursue guys. And this weekend they, they've got a raft of guys coming in as well. So we, we may get some more commitments before this weekend's over.
0: Yeah, it is. Uh, like I said. And then you have signing day, which yeah. is a Wednesday. Uh Ryan Walters, not necessarily in a different boat than a lot of other coaches because you're trying to hang on. I mean, uh, yeah. uh, you've got, again, uh, a couple key guys that have been offered by or visited other schools and one offered as well. Uh, do you expect to uh, come Wednesday, that class will be what size do you think as it, as it all comes to pass or is it still too early to tell just because there's so many moving targets?
1: I think, you know, there's 24 committed now and, um, I think all 24 of the, of the high school kids should indeed end up uh, following through on their commitments. I know the player you referenced, Corey Beasley, yeah. the safety from Cincinnati, uh, the highest rated commit in this class, according to on3.com, um, took that official visit to Syracuse last week. He had a relationship with the new Orange head coach, Fran Brown, who was at Georgia. But from, from what I'm told, Alan, um, I think Purdue feels like it's in a pretty good spot with Coy Beasley. I still think they do believe he's going to sign with the Boilermakers on Wednesday, December 20th, the first day these kids can do so. So I know there was some angst and anxiety there. There should be any type of guy who's committed yeah. to, and still shopping around, right? But uh, from what I, from right here, Alan, uh, I get the sense that, again, Purdue feels pretty confident that Coy Beasley's still in the fold for the Boilermakers.
0: Yeah, when you look at that whole uh... – situation obviously Purdue wants to you know we the receiver room transfer Mm -hmm. portal and and not necessarily the incoming guys though there may be a couple in there that can that can help but talk about that and that need because right now you're down to just a couple guys with any any level of experience just based on what who who has left the program who's entered the portal so to speak but that is a huge need for Ryan Walters and company as well
1: yeah it's pretty bare bones they lost their top three Pass-catching receivers to the portal, Alan, you talked about that. Um, You know, we've already seen Deion Burks go to Oklahoma. You know, T.J. Sheffield's in the portal. Abdul Rahman in the portal. So those are three kind of significant losses, right? And then to a lesser extent, Mershon Rice is also in the portal. So they need pass-catchers, like you said. They've got their junior college kid coming back, Jaden Dixon-Veal. And, of course, don't forget about the kid from Florida Atlantic that came last year and got hurt in camp. Didn't play all last year, Allen. I know staffers thought he's he was probably going to be the top receiver last year. Again, didn't play a snap. And Jamal Adrain is is his name. So uh, he his his rehab has gone well, I'm told. So those are your two starting points, right? But he's going to host a couple of portal targets this week. Wake Forest kid Jamal Banks, probably the best of the receivers are looking at right now. He's actually going to Notre Dame too. And then UCLA's Cam Brown. Uh, they were they hosted a kid named Corey Allen from Louisiana Tech last week, so they're kicking some tires, Allen. And uh, I think they want to get at least two or three portal receivers. And uh, like I said, they had one on campus last week, the Louisiana Tech kid, and they got two on campus this weekend, uh, the Wake Forest kid and UCLA. So, yeah, if offensive line was the top priority, wide receiver it was certainly right after it, Allen.
0: Now we're going to be talking with Mark Carney and David Neff from the for the Boilermaker Alliance uh, further on in the show. Uh, in, in any notion of you know nil, obviously we don't know specifics and what's happened, but it looks like Purdue's had you know not only have they hired hired a CEO, but maybe a little bit more funding there to get to what they need. Um, any sense that that's uh, that that's uh, not to say negative, but it, it, all all things are are moving in the right direction from that standpoint. It appears, uh, yeah. based on what uh, we can we can tell at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean the first full time CEO dedicated to the Boilermaker Alliance. You know, Alan yeah. before the leaders of the Boilermaker Alliance were just sort of doing it off of the side. You know, they had full time jobs and they were always doing it off the side of their desk, is how it was described to me. Yeah. Now they hired a guy. This is this is his job, Alan. He was yeah. hired to be the CEO president of the Boilermaker Alliance, David Neff, uh 39-year-old businessman with, with a nice sports background. Alan from Indianapolis went to Heritage Christian High School. Rose uh, uh Miles Coleman's high school has four kids. <laughs> sharp he's, he's, like, he's like a very sharp guy. I spoke to him for a story last week, and he seemingly checks all the boxes. He's like he, he's like a young Alan Karpik.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> But, That's uh, not the job I want to deal with. I don't know how David is going to oh, do got, it.
1: I, I hope I didn't put any pressure on him. This I, I wrote something <laughs> the next day in 321 about he may be the most important man to a Purdue Athletics, more important than an administrator, a coach, or a player. Um, we all know, love it or not, you can curse it all you want. NIL, this stuff is here. And yeah. if you're not partaking in it, your program is going to suffer. So, David Neff is leading the charge. And of course, they hired hired somebody else to help them, too. Maddie. Dario, and, and so they've got two full time employees. So, yeah, it's good news for Purdue. Yeah. You have full time people dedicated to trying to raise money uh, to augment the uh, the Purdue athletic profile and, and to retain talent, Alan, and also to recruit talent as well. So uh, I think uh, a big, a big moment for Purdue uh, uh, Athletics and the Boilermaker Alliance to get a guy like David Neff. Yeah, no doubt. And, and important. Like you said, it's
0: hard to minimize its importance from that standpoint. All right. One of the things, you know, there's been a lot of talk from the big and you've been a big picture guy because you've known been, been around this for a long time. When you look at, you know, the talk about the, you know, the, the, the transfer rule. Now they've rescinded that. And I don't even completely understand it, that, that, but basically it sounds like guys are going to be able to go without have to worry about waivers. That sounds like that. I'm talking about transferring mm-hmm. uh, without having to deal with that. And then also the timing of all this. And there's been a lot of gnashing of teeth because you've got guys that are going into the portal that are playing in bowl games or, and, or, you know, Texas's backup quarterback uh, is in the portal, you know, and, and, and a lot of that kind of stuff. Do you see, you know, we're all looking for a place where all this stuff lands and it becomes some level of normalcy. Are we getting any closer or are we getting further away in your view?
1: I don't think we're any closer yet, Alan. And um, there still needs to be some more structure. And I'm all for player movement. Yeah. Uh, pro player. And I think they should be able to go where they want to go when they want to go. The coaches can. You and I can, right? Nobody sticks us. We want to get another job. Uh, if I'm a student at Purdue, like your, your kid, Reed, if you want to transfer, you could transfer to five schools if you wanted in, in five years. And uh, But I think, I think there does need to be, the pendulum needs to swing back a little bit more to the middle, too. I, I think the schools, the coaching staffs, the programs need some type of structure and normalcy when they're trying to build and create these rosters. It's just chaos. From year to year, you're almost literally building your team. For Purdue, that's certainly the case. You talked about twenty-one guys in the portal at this point, and um, yeah, I mean you, you, that's that, that's that's a lot of guys leaving on an eighty-five scholarship roster, Alan. That's easy. I can even do that math. So again, um, it'd be nice if there was some semblance of a, a contract of some sort. Of guys signed that that coaches know. Hey, yeah, I got this guy for at least two years. I got this guy for three years. So may, maybe we're we're getting closer to that. Uh, that's above my pay grade. I love I love listening to people talk about maybe where the future goes, but I, I think um you know I think the NCAA and others are mindful of trying to be very player friendly because there's a lot of litigation going on right now. Yeah, want to show that they are being player friendly, but I think at some point, like I said, I think the pendulum needs to swing back and and give 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 more balance to uh, the programs and the players, so for, so the schools can have a little easier time of trying to keep rosters together and knowing what they've got year to year.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting too with the college football playoff expanding next year to twelve, and the fact that you know that portal opens on December fourth, and you're if you're a backup quarterback at Ohio State or or the starting quarterback at Ohio State. Now I know they're not in the playoff this year. Uh, it's you know you you have to kind of get while the getting's good, and it's going to be interesting to see how coaches deal with that, you know, uh, from that standpoint uh, down the road, and and uh, like you said. I'm glad that Ryan Walters is going to be 38 here and I think the next month. It's good he's young and nimble. I I, I don't know yeah. how coaches deal with that. And of course, Ryan seems to be pretty stoic about it all. You, you have to deal with it and you have to do the best you can with it and try to put yourself in the best position to build that
1: roster. But <laughs> it is a yeah. challenge. It You're is right, Alan. And in the program we saw, saw Garrett Miller jump in the portal yes. this week but that, that was a surprise. That was a surprise. I think two players that went in the portal that pretty would have rather have stayed would be were Deion Burks and, and and Dylan Downing. Um, they were both bits of a head scratchers, if you will. Um, and again, Purdue's doing what it can to to augment and, and and build this roster. Cornerbacks another spot, Alan. They have a kid coming in from Eastern Washington. They're looking. I know they've offered a couple other portal cornerbacks and running back too. Right? Talked <laughs> about Dylan Downing. He jumped in the portal. Now he's he's probably at least going to be the number two running back next year, Purdue. Who knows? Maccabee gets hurt. All of a sudden you're the starting running back. Uh the only guys they have after Maccabee and Downing were an incoming freshman, Jahim Merriweather. And then he got a, a guy who was a true freshman this last year, Christian Romack. I mean, now Downing's gone. They want to look at this Jahim Merriweather kid in the spring, um, and then decide if they want to portal back. But I think now with Downing gone. I think they need to get a portal back now to get him in for spring football. And Reggie Love from Illinois is a guy they're yeah. supposed to host this weekend. So, again, Downing's loss now I think means Purdue needs a portal running back now. They can't yeah. go through spring football. Hey, we we, we need somebody. Because right now in that first portal window, the pickings are usually a lot better than that first portal window. There's another portal window in the spring from April 15th to the 30th after spring footballs are over but by then, there's not as much movement, and a lot of the better talent typically is left. And as you know, Al, when there's scarcity, fewer players available, they get way overvalued, they get way over-recruited, and the competition gets that much more fierce for, for players in that spring portal window. Yeah, going to be
0: interesting to see Garrett Miller, who knows, may end up at Louisville. I don't know what to you know. – You've
1: got a Texas a and offer.
0: Yeah. So, uh, and of course, he has an injury to, to overcome as well in the off season to, uh But uh, yeah. In, but Purdue has Max Claire uh, yeah. coming back and George Burhan. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Right, but it's a huge game in the bucket game as well. well.
1: Bitter, uh, and they got, him, and they got had a kid, too. It's pretty good. On, uh, so you've got the tight end room
0: is probably going to be OK, assuming yeah. Claire comes back after injury. So. All right, we can continue to muddle this too, cuz by the if, 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 the more the more we seem certain the more it'll probably change here before long but Tom I appreciate all you're doing for trying to keep an eye on all this uh, it is a it's heading a swivel time like we said through now and through January it's uh, going to be an interesting time as uh, Purdue forms its roster for the 2024 season and beyond. So, Tom, uh, we'll, we'll look forward to that, to your coverage as well. So we'll, uh, we're going to jump to another segment here in a minute. Thank the Union Club Hotel, a reminder also that you can subscribe to goldenblack.com and you can do it as a, as a holiday gift. A great idea, but uh, we'll be back in our next segment. We'll, we'll have uh, David Neff and Mark Carney on here as well, and we'll look forward to that uh, too. So stay tuned. We'll transition Right into that. Welcome to our December edition of Golden Black Live. And uh, Brian Newbert will join us for segment one. We will have also um, Mark Carney and uh, David Neff, the Boilermaker Alliance, will join us. We're going to introduce David Neff, now the new CEO and President of of the Boilermaker Alliance, and then of course, segment three, Elliot Bloom. All kind of focusing on what's going to be a really big, big, stating the obvious, big game for the Purdue men's basketball team tomorrow, as Purdue takes on Arizona. First time ever that uh, a number three ranked Purdue team is taking on a number one ranked team, but a great opportunity it will be an unbelievable crowd, I would think, in Indianapolis. Smart, you know, the, the opportunity for for Purdue to play in this game, Brian. Uh, you talked to Matt Painter on Thursday. Uh, Yes, it's another game, but it's another it, it just another ability to showcase uh, what has been in a gauntlet of an unbelievable non-conference schedule for Purdue. Yeah,
2: uh, I I think it's not. I don't think it's overstatement to say this is the strongest non-conference schedule in Purdue history. And I'm only yeah. really saying that based on the fact that I can't imagine there having been one stronger. Nope. And, you know, Purdue's basically one win away from going unbeaten in the non-conference for the third straight year. That's not what Purdue aspires to this season by any means, uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, to be one win away from running the table uh, against these schedules they've put together the last three years um, is really something. Now, obviously, this last one is going to be the big one because this is um, – you know the best team Purdue's played to date and that says something given what they played in Honolulu and yeah and whatnot but um you know it's, I think it's a um a good opportunity obviously for Purdue to kind of I don't think being number one matters all that much and you know to be honest with you the way things tend to go when Purdue is number one do you even want it yeah um I'd run away from it as fast as I can if I were Purdue, but um, that's just me. Um, I think that, uh, you know, all these experiences in the non-conference season, you know, should bolster Purdue for when it matters most later in the year. Now, obviously Purdue's played tough schedules the last two years, and that's not necessarily worked that way, but um, should this year? Uh, I I think Arizona's level of athleticism and skill, coupled with, you know, the legitimate size they have to go against Zach Eady, you know, I think is as close to a complete team as Purdue's going to see all year long. And there's not going to be anything you can run into in March that you haven't already, you know, seen and then some between what you're going to see in Arizona, what you saw in the three games in Honolulu and, you know, You still had Arkansas on there, albeit just an exhibition. You still had Alabama on there.
0: Oh, Xavier, yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't know how good they are. But um, I think that, you know, Purdue should be ready for anything uh, here in a couple months, provided they stay healthy, provided they're consistent. There's not a lot of red flags with Purdue right now. Uh, The the turnover thing is going to be an issue. But other than that, you know, they're not the best defensive team in the country, but I don't think anybody realistically expected them to be. Nor do they necessarily need to be as good as they are on offense. But I think that um you know they should be uh this should turn out to be a situation here in a couple of months where you look back on this and you say that everything Purdue dealt with here uh in November and December really, really helped them come, you know, the end of February into March.
0: Yeah. Some of the national narrative, I think, you know, and again for what it's worth, um, Physicality of the guards and what will be an interesting thing, Caleb Love, obviously, with the, the tra- North Carolina transfer via via other places as well will, will will be an interesting matchup situation. Obviously, with also Arizona's got size in the backcourt. Purdue has skill in the backcourt. Certainly, Braden Smith certainly doesn't need to take a backseat to anybody. Fletcher lawyer, you know, his ability to defend in this situation. Well, certainly it's always been being tested, no matter who you're playing against. But Talk about that. I mean, what what are some of the things you know that uh, when you look at a game like this in uh, a quasi home game, but not a complete home game, certainly. But uh, uh, you're playing a team in Arizona that's got a lot of skill, a lot of weapons, and a lot of different places.
2: Yeah, but so did uh, so did Marquette, so yeah. did Gonzaga, so did Tennessee, so did Alabama. Um, they all had big guards too. And, yeah, um, I think. Those teams, what they had in the backcourt, stacked up pretty, pretty favorably with what Purdue's going to see against Arizona. Now, what those teams didn't necessarily have was the size up front and the, um, you know, the more complete package, the, the defensive mo. Even though I think I, th- I think Tennessee's a really good defensive team, yeah. Um, I think this is just top to bottom going to be the best team Purdue's played. Uh, I haven't had a chance to see Arizona on TV at all this season. Um, but, um, I know what they're all about. Uh, and, uh, they're very good, obviously, and uh, very talented and, um, you know, Purdue's going to have a hands full, but I wouldn't, I I don't think Braden Smith's going to take a backseat to anybody. I think Braden Smith's one of the best guards in the country. Um, and it's not like, you know, having a 5'10 point guard and having a 170-pound shooting guard is anything new for Purdue. I mean, think of how many games they've won the last couple of years with that. I mean, their guards are no smaller, no slighter than they were in Honolulu. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of matchups that are going to be challenging, but, um, you know, Purdue's overcome those challenges – at like a ninety percent success rate uh, here the last eighteen months or so, so I I I don't think I don't think that's as big an issue as as as, as people want to make it out to be. The other thing is Arizona doesn't have Zach Eady, yeah. and Arizona Nobody doesn't either. have Arizona doesn't have a lot of what Purdue has. Uh, you know, I, I think people tend to look at what Purdue doesn't have versus teams like this instead of looking at what. The other team doesn't have that Purdue does. And there's one Zach Eady in college basketball, and he's he wears a Purdue jersey. So it's a pretty big advantage. Yeah. yeah. And I think you have you have one of the best point guards in college basketball. And it doesn't matter that he's 5'10. Uh, he was 5'10 in Honolulu too when he played against Tyler Kolek and he's was 5'10 um this past weekend when he played against what Alabama had and um. I don't think it matters. Um, in fact, I I if I were Purdue, I'd be telling him before the game, hey, you're only 5'10. Hey, you're only 5'10. Just piss him off. Yeah. And um, you'd probably get the best version of him. Yeah.
0: A mad a mad Braden Smith seems to be a good Braden Smith. Uh, video aside, he's uh he, he's about as competitive as it gets. Now, Matt Painter talked on Thursday about the rotation and 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 how that works, and you've documented that well and things that you've written and talked about this year. It is an interesting situation because you are 10 deep. That doesn't change. There's going to be guys. You talked about how, whether it's Miles Colvin or, or uh, you know, Ethan Morton, Mason Gillis, there's always going to be somebody that's going to get the short end of the stick based on how games go. Um, just talk about that and how maybe Matt Painter has looked at uh, to uh, evolve into being comfort- more comfortable with uh, the, this type of rotation. And and maybe maybe it isn't going to change that much because I think you're going to have uh, – you've got 10 guys you definitely can play in this situation.
2: Yeah, no, I, I don't think – I think the experimentation, the experimentation part of this is over. I think that what you're seeing right now is what you're going to get. And yeah. I think there's going to be games where Trey Kaufman run plays more at the four There's going to be games where Mason Gillis and Caleb first play more. There's going to be games where things are working for Camden Heidi. He's going to play more. Uh, Miles Colvin's going to keep getting his minutes, and he's going to have the chance to earn more and more uh, where those minutes come from. Uh, That's not necessarily easy to say. No. Uh, There's going to be games where they need Ethan Morton out there for defense. Uh, There's going to be games where, um, you know, it's going to be a Lance Jones game where he plays more. There's going to be games where maybe there's not a great matchup for somebody in the backcourt. Somebody gets in foul trouble. Somebody's going to play more than um, they ordinarily do, or less than they ordinarily do. And so far, so good on that front. I mean, that's it sounds implausible because everybody thinks that you can't play this many guys enough, but you can play guys over the course of thirty games enough. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be. Everybody gets this amount of minutes every single game, uh, as long as winning's enough for a lot of these guys. You're you should be good, and there are no red flags in that regard. You know, you have three guys on this team who've been starters at Purdue and won a hell of a lot of games for Purdue. In Mason Gillis, Ethan Morton, and Caleb First, and you know, I I, I don't see any any real causes for concern there as those guys come off the bench. I think. You know, I think winning is important to all of those guys. Um, I think, I think they get it. I think they understand it. As Painter says all the time, I don't have to like it, but I, yeah. I think they get it. Um, so it's just going to be a game-to-game deal, and that's that can work. That is working, um, and uh, I don't anticipate that changing. Uh, everybody wants, to, for whatever reason, everybody wants to tear down the starting lineup after every game. Uh, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> not reality. It also it, doesn't matter all that much.
3: No. It just um,
2: you know, Trey Kaufman-Wren was minus 20 in the plus minus uh, versus Alabama. By virtue of the fact that he was out there for those first five minutes when Alabama was just making all these threes. Sure. Now, a couple of those threes, you know, maybe, maybe a quicker footed guy might have been able to contest those shots better than – Trey Kaufman was able to but They weren't shooting That well because Trey Kaufman was on the floor They were shooting that well because they were red hot yeah. And you know When I went back and watched the game I, I looked at the threes they took with First and Mason Gillis on the floor Versus the threes they took with Trey Kaufman On the floor at the start Not a whole lot of difference yeah. except for the fact That the ones with Kaufman Ren at the start of the game Went in and the others didn't So you know, sometimes there's not going to be a whole lot of separation there, even though it might not look, even though it might look like somebody's way better than somebody else. But um I think that it, it's just going to be one of those deals where everybody you can turn to is a good player. Everybody's deserving of being out there, and some games it's just going to be one guy, and the next games it's going to be other guy, and um. You know, over the course of the season, it all evens out, probably.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Critical thinking is a good thing when you look at where this, uh, you know, it's easy. To, I think fans and and observers want to make easy calls on the way, oh, this is the way it is. This is exactly what we're seeing here. Yeah, minus 20 of a uh, Trey run against Alabama. And Matt Painter talked about that, and you've had, written about it, too, that there's – there is a lot more to it than meets the eye from that standpoint of what guys are going to contribute and win. I think one of the biggest things is going to be for Matt Painter is just pushing the right buttons at the right time and, and getting getting the guys in there that uh, that are doing the job, and you got 10 good options. That uh, seems to me to be pretty clear. Well, well uh, the one thing that really makes
2: this work is winning. Yes. you know, it it's one thing to, you know, not be playing as many minutes as you want to be when you're winning. It's another thing to not be playing as many minutes as you want to be when you're not winning. And you think you can make a difference. And you think that the difference when your team winning and your team losing is the fact that you're not playing as much as you should. As long as Purdue keeps winning, I mean, I don't anticipate any problems. And, I, you know, if Purdue goes on a, a losing streak at some point, they just don't play well for a while. I don't I I still don't know if this whole thing goes sideways on him, but it's something you always have to be conscious of. And it's, it's something he's always on top of, you know, there's a reason in the Springs and summers, he doesn't always go all out to add a guy. If he's got open scholarship, it's because he doesn't want that guy at the end of the bench who he cannot play being unhappy and complaining and, you know, kind of bringing people down with them and that's that's part of team building and you know people when they look at rosters like a fantasy team and they think you don't have enough of this you don't have enough of that if we just if they just had one more scorer sitting at the end of the bench you know that would that would change everything that that it, it doesn't really work that way and uh you know the, the one thing he's always been very careful about managing is making sure he doesn't have any any um anybody any malcontents at the end of the bench. Um, because he's been through that. He's he's known what, you know, a bad attitude or two on your team can do because he lived through 2012, 2013, et cetera. And uh I think he learned a lot from that. And um I think that's just the way he's gonna operate. But he's gonna be very careful. He he he's gonna be very proactive with these guys, I'm sure, about being honest with them and and kind of keeping in their ears about, you know, what they need to be doing and things like that. And also making clear to them that yeah, you do deserve more minutes, but so does everybody else. So you're not necessarily in the in a one of one position here. So I I mean that that's part of the challenge of having a good deep team too is just managing it. And you know, so far so good.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, truth is your greatest defense and asset. And Matt Painter's always had that reputation of being honest with his guys. And you're right, winning cures a lot of things if you're in that situation. And, and I think we, without uh, uh, it seems to me that the chemistry in this team and this program has been extremely strong. And uh, that's an asset as well. Yeah. All right. So, how do you see this thing co- go? You know, and obviously you'll have a, a prediction on the site tomorrow as you have the preview up. but – how you look I mean, is this a one possession game it's gonna go down to the wire? How do you, you know, I know that's what the odds makers probably are gonna say, but what do you what do you think? Yeah,
2: it's a toss up. I just think, you know, um Purdue's gonna have a de facto home court advantage. Yes. Uh I think Purdue's really good. And I think Braden Smith and Zach Eady are both playing at a level that um you know, are going to make them really hard to beat. And I think that, you know, athletically Purdue stacks up in games like this now, whereas before you might've really worried about, you know, some of these dudes Arizona has versus the guy who's going to be lining up next to him. But now you got your, you got your Lance Jones, you got your, your Miles Colvin's or Camden Heidi's guys who look the same in uniform as the guys who play for these blue blood type programs. And, I just think Purdue's up to it. I think they're up to it more than ever. They just have to not turn the ball over. They have to not crater from three. I wouldn't anticipate any of that stuff happening. Um, But that's what – those things are still very real Um, in terms of concerns. uh, I think Zach Eady, you know, it might be a little bit liberating, you know, for him to play against credible size. Yeah. Because I think he's better against traditional size than he is having to worry about stomping somebody who's way smaller than him or way, way skinnier than him and, you know, things like that. And even though Purdue's played a ton of high majors now, they haven't, he hasn't played against a really good big guy yet, a true big guy, somebody who can, he can actually have leverage over, um, you know, things like that. And, uh you know, that might bring out the best, and, and the best of them is, is is pretty damn good, and I think, you know, you still have the best player in the country, and I think you have a second All-America level player now in Braden Smith, the way he's playing. As long as, you know, Smith plays under control, it doesn't turn the ball over too much, and if he can make jumpers in this game, the way Arizona defends, I think his jump shot can be a real difference maker in this game, so there's always some variance when you're dealing with jump shooting, but I I think that um, he's proven himself that he's going to make shots, and I think that, uh, you know, Purdue's got enough going for it where it can be just a little bit better than Arizona here. I I would worry about the way they defend and the physicality and the athleticism and the versatility they have uh, on the perimeter and things like that, but I think Purdue's seen teams that are similar with all the SEC people they've played so far. And uh, I just think Purdue's up to it. Um, now, Arizona will get another crack at them in Vegas next year.
0: So, And then who knows what will happen uh, come uh, March slash April as well. This is certainly a precursor uh, prelude maybe to what an uh, Elite Eight uh, national semifinal could look like uh, if you're Purdue and or Arizona. Well, chances us-
2: are, you know, by the end of the week, or by the time Big Ten play resumes, chances are, Purdue will have played at least one team that's gonna be in the final four by the end of the year yeah I think uh, it's with the way this schedules played
0: out
3: um
2: I think Marquette's that good I think Tennessee's that good I think uh Arizona's that good and um you know we'll see what Gonzaga ends up looking like but I, I think Purdue's played a played a ridiculous schedule
0: going to be to, to Purdue's advantage, one would think, heading on. All right, I want to thank Triple X on the Hill, but on the level of Purdue tradition since 1929, of course, State Farm Agent Trent Johnson. We will take a two-minute break and be back with with uh, Mark Carney and David Neff in the Boilermaker Alliance to get a, get a chance to introduce uh, the new CEO and president of the Boilermaker Alliance as well. A lot of issues that go with that. And then Elliot Bloom will join us in segment three and talk a little bit, I would guess, about scheduling. And also what goes into uh, having a team that uh, getting a team organized and ready to go in a number of different ways uh, that Elliot does for Purdue. So we'll take a two minute break. We'll be back uh, for our next segment on Golden Black Live. Well, segment two, Golden Black Live. And we have special guests. uh, Mark Carney, uh, uh, the chairman of the of the uh, board, so to speak, with the Boilermaker Alliance, and of course David Neff. Dave Neff just hired uh, as the president and CEO of Boilermaker Alliance. Dave, first, welcome to the Purdue community. Uh, yeah, you're you're going to hit the you're hitting the ground running already,
4: but uh, uh, welcome and congratulations on the new gig. Thank you, thank you. No, it's been a very warm reception, and I and I felt the love from. Boiler Nation uh, this week but we do we do have a tall task in front of us and a lot of this is, is real time as you know so yeah no doubt Mark t- talk about the, that
0: process of getting to Dave without without conducting a formal interview right now but just in, in terms of what what the board went through and, and you know obviously you've had Maddie Daddario as part of your program as well but to talk about the processes you got to Dave and, and
3: what you're looking for uh, out of his role. Sure. Thanks, Alan. So we went through the typical process of, of posting ads, you know, and kind of casting in the net uh, earlier in the year and really weren't satisfied with the, with the candidate pool. And, um, like most companies, we, we ended up retaining a search firm who, uh, you know, we set up a, a committee uh, of the board screen, seven candidates, down to four candidates, executive committee um, re- reduced the four candidates down to two. And you know, Dave, I think uh, was heads and tails above the, the rest of the, the crew. I mean, we, we were absolutely pleased at the amount of interest that we had in the high, high profile of, of those candidates, but really felt like Dave's track record, uh, both with the Pacers and Salesforce as well as his growth activities, uh, you know, around nonprofits and participating in foundations, all of that sort of led us to believe that he, he was the right, uh, the right guy for the job. So we're pleased as can be. And he's hit the ground running, we got a fundraiser tomorrow. He was in Houston with the, with the coach, uh, coach Walters and uh, Mike Levinsky yesterday. Uh, so, there's uh, no moss on the rock here, as they say. Yeah,
0: yeah. Dave. When you look at this, and when you uh, looked at this job, and, and obviously with your experience in sports with the Pacers, but also in you know, your Indianapolis background uh what intrigued you the most what what got you excited about this because this change is the new constant in this world i mean it's it is you're going to have to be a change be able to deal with change on a daily basis you understand
4: that but is
0: that what intrigued you what uh, what got you yeah
4: yeah well it's it's been it's been funny to see the range of responses you know uh as as this has become public this week you know some folks are like wow (laughs) great new world you know like sort of like questioning the move you know and i'm like Hey, that that hasn't scared me before. Uh, no, really. What 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 sort of intrigued me? I'd say a few things. Uh, first is just my respect and admiration for the Purdue brand as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. I think the last um, you know decade plus uh, under the leadership of of really Mike Berghoff, uh Mitch Daniels, now Meng Chang, Mike Babinski, Mark Carney on Boilermaker Alliance. I mean everybody that I either knew or didn't know prior to the getting into this process has just been super, super impressive, high character, uh, low ego want, want to get, want to get the job done. And I just think Purdue's brand, and this is not just me. I know this is there's, there's actually data that backs this up. is, is one of the hottest higher ed uh, brands in the country. And so that, that's one thing. I think the second is just, you know, NIL is the cutting edge of college athletics, and so to be associated with a Big Ten conference school, let's be real, Big Ten and SEC is where all the action is right now in terms of the the power conferences with the four West Coast schools coming in uh, this late, you know, next year to the Big Ten. That was super attractive. And then we, we've got to go, we've got to go build this thing. I mean, Mark and the rest of the board, they've got day jobs. Yeah. They're volunteers. They've been yeah. doing a, a, just an astronomical job to get us to where we are today. Um, but I think a lot of this, and th- these are two things that are important to me, Alan, is it's about trust and it's about relationships. And so we have to have high trust in, in every interaction that we have with donors, corporate sponsors, coaches, administrators, athletes. Uh, and and we have to, you know, trust moves at the at the speed of relationships or relationships move at the speed of trust, as I like to say. So um there's a, there's a lot of work to do, but I just felt like it was a sort of one of these generational opportunities to be to be associated with something that's that's so new as an industry.
0: Yeah. As Dave said, Mark, the, the day job thing was I <laughs> I don't know how you've been able to do run your run your day job and do this at the same time, but you know, this has continued to evolve and it's it, like you said, it's changed from time to time. Sounds like things from the from a from the fundraising standpoint are heading in the right direction. You have a sense, you know, even with 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 collectives down the road, you know, who knows where all this goes. But uh, you feel like now, not only with Dave's hire, but also some of the support that you're starting to get that uh, things are are definitely
3: trending in the right direction. Yeah, I, I'm from a regulatory kind of overarching perspective, Alan. I, you know, I'm not going <clears> to <throat> profess to read the tea leaves. I don't yeah. think, given the the requirement for federal legislation, yeah, we're going to get something done in an election year. So we probably have a couple of seasons that we have to prepare for. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, basketball's in good shape. I think uh, football last year. You know, we were uh, depl- we, we didn't have the resources necessary to build depth in the roster. I think we had a good a good um, starting crew. Had it, had some injuries, you know, and and um, this year we've got a lot more runway established. We still need all the help we can get from the boiler nation, you know, in terms of memberships or donations, because I can tell you, we're, we're getting looks at in the, in the portal, um, good ballplayers. Yeah. And the reason we're getting looks at the portal for good ballplayers is we've been able to, through our efforts, support a lot of big men,
0: yeah. you know,
3: when Marcus Johnson looks at that lineman in the eye, you know, it's a big man. Yeah. And so we've, you know, I think we've been able to help out on the line, you know, and it all kind of starts with the line, as you, as you know, Alan, and, and, you know, that, that support will, will give us, you know, you know, for wide receivers and, and running backs. And so we're, 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 you know, if you say this second tier Big Ten school needs about $5 million for football. Whereas that first tier maybe needs ten to fifteen, you know we're on our way towards that second tier. But you know if, if people want you know to be in Indianapolis at the end of the year, you know we we've, we've got to have help. So and that's you know Dave is uh, Dave is on it, and and yeah. we really need Baller Nation you know stepping up here. And the only thing I've had that uh, Mark and
4: and Alan. And talking with you know Mike Mike Berghoff and, and others is we've got the scholarships right that that's covered we've got the facilities um, we need the players and and this is this is a great opportunity if you care about Purdue athletics I mean the collective is is the top way I think to really um, you know get engaged in this moment in time.
0: Yeah. And it's going to have to, it is the, the the, the new reality of what's there and what, what can be out there. Now the focus Obviously, right now, football, men's basketball, women's basketball, volleyball, uh, in the old days, they called them the revenue sports, but to talk about that, you know, you've got, to, you've got a women's basketball event on January the 13th, we can hit on that too, but uh, these are four high-profile high programs, programs that uh, men's basketball and volleyball are certainly knocking on the Final Four, uh, that world, uh, women's basketball has been a national champion over the years, football wants to compete in what is the most difficult league in the, that and that in the SEC. But when you add those four teams in there, it is going to be extremely competitive uh, just to be able to keep your head above water. But talk about that and just that that mindset to, and
3: how Purdue fits into all of that. So, you know, in terms of our efforts, Alan, we, we have created champions on the board that yeah. are – that, that are have responsibility for each of the, the sports. And um, that seems to have worked better f- for us. We're, we're very specific on the sports. There's a, there's a certain uh, set of fans in each of those sports, you know, that have been very generous to us. And so kind of broken it up and, you know, that, that's worked for us, um, you know, and, and I think you know, we're, we're out there talking to, to alumni. Um, you know, alumni are, are uh, you know, in the sports are are ab- absolutely a, a key factor in us and in our capital campaigns. I think the other thing that, you know, we've got the membership program that sits alongside that, you know, and uh, obviously you guys have been a great partner for us in the, in the, the membership model uh, for exclusive content. Uh, we've started, I think, and doing a pretty credible job around like, um, experiences, you know, so we've got, uh, you know, for a certain level of, of membership, we've got the uh, meetings with Matt and, you know, we had three of the basketball coaches on Monday of, of this week that kind of went through, you know, what we did at Toronto. It's in the Spurgeon Club, but, you know, we we encourage that, um, you know, you're going to get an intimate view kind of a, of what the coaches think and, 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 and that. You know, and then as far as football goes, the portal's o- over at January eighth, so our all eyes are on us. You know, and to get to get between now and then, um, you know, in terms of regrettable loss, um, you know, probably a couple, but you know, there's uh you know there's there's good players on our team, and so uh, retaining those players has been kind of job one, and then helping out, uh, you know, with with who, who uh, we think is going to help us on on the uh, offensive line and whatnot and getting us in a position, you know, to compete, you know, is pretty much job one for us right now. So basketball is in good shape. Women's basketball is on its way. Obviously women's volleyball had a great season, you know, and, and, um, you know, but there's still work to do because there that team is young and, you know, I I know there's going to be opportunities for coach Shondell and coach Gerald's uh, that, you know, that we need to provide focus on. So. all
0: right well said in and, and uh like i said it's hurting cats but uh in a lot of ways and being able to do that well all right last question dave i'm, I'm with you and this may have been an interview question so what in your skill set your background obviously with with the pacers but also with with salesforce and and just that that varied background uh you know in looking at yourself when you get a new gig you you do have to evaluate uh, what your personal goals are but why? What makes this a good match for uh, you professionally down the road? Because you're right; you don't know how long these things are going to last. I think, Mark, you're exactly right that uh, with an election year, it's doubtful that there's going to be a ton of legislation. But uh, what uh, what makes it what makes you most excited about this opportunity from that standpoint?
4: Well, you know, I, I would identify as somebody that that brings a lot of entrepreneurial energy in terms of how I work and how I think and you know having a bias toward action versus uh maybe at times some of a bigger company mindset where you know things kind of move along and you're just sort of at the status quo day to day you know this is this is a role where you can see progress daily right yeah. it's not yearly it's daily and so that's motivating to me to see as we're you know knocking down whether in this near term you know big gifts big charitable gifts I think in the in the at the same time, we've got to get the marketing machine, the content machine going, which is where you guys have been so helpful in terms of how we build this subscription base, this flywheel of memberships. I mean, I'd love to wake up and in, in a year and have you know six thousand members, not not you know several hundred, but yeah. uh, thousands. When you think about six hundred thousand plus living Purdue alum, I think one percent should be very achievable, right? To be to be yeah. members of the alliance, and then as we start to ramp up. The corporate sponsor piece, which I have a lot of background in, obviously from my pacer days, from some of the board work I've done, from what I most recently did at Prolific, a consulting firm working with a lot of B two B businesses. You know, as we as we sort of dial in on what are the assets that corporate sponsors receive as it relates to name, image, and likeness uh, with with sort of our walking billboards, our student athletes. Um, I, I just think there's there's three main lanes that we have to get covered between the major charitable gifts the membership or subscription model, and then the corporate sponsorship piece. So, um, you know, it's going to take an army and I've got a great board and the, the JPC, the guys, the, the men and women at JPC have been nothing but supportive. Uh, I know there's a lot of folks out there. So if you want to get involved, I'm all ears. I've had people reach out, offer to help. So we'll, we're will we getting organized and, and we're going to have a, a strong bias toward action here. All right. Well, guys, thanks so much. Uh,
0: Always interesting stuff. And you're going to admire your both of your abilities to uh, manage change and and embrace it and uh, and move ahead. Like you said, I think Dave was very well said it is a daily deal and uh, you can't uh, look too far down the road. You got to take care of what's in front of you as well. Big day, to, big day tomorrow, Purdue, Arizona will be fun night, fun uh, event in Indianapolis. I'm sure, as, as Mark, I think you said earlier, that the, there'll be some uh, some of the uh, Boilermaker Alliance activity, certainly from uh, trying to get people more and more people involved. And uh, we look forward to that. We look forward to, obviously, goldenblack.com. We appreciate the relationship so far. And we're looking forward, like you, to having it grow. So, all right, we will take a two-minute break here. And Elliot Bloom, somebody that Mark and Dave uh, uh, we'll know well and we'll talk some Purdue basketball uh, and all the stuff that's going on, not only just with with, with uh, Saturday's game against Arizona, but also what goes on behind the scenes in terms of building a schedule, ties into the Boilermaker Alliance and just creating an interest and activity around Purdue sports, uh, a big thing that uh, men's basketball is delivering in a big way. So we'll be back in two minutes on Golden Black Live. Segment three, Golden Black Live. We're with Elliot Bloom, Director of Men's Basketball Administration and Operations. A, t- a title in length, but uh, worthy of the job this guy has done for a long time for Purdue. And uh, he's always, he and I have good offline conversations. We're going to have an online one here today, and that's always a always a pleasure from my standpoint Elliot welcome to the show and it's just another Friday just another get basketball game tomorrow when uh, Purdue takes on Arizona
5: yeah just another game uh <laughs> another season um no it's it's a good time of year it's a, it's an exciting time a uh, good time to be a boilermaker and and uh, looking forward to um I wasn't sure what what game was going to be the highlight of this season non-conference wise um yeah, it just shows you—you you never know. You schedule these things, and you never know how they're going to materialize. And this is certainly uh, this is certainly one that's got everybody's attention, not just among our fan base, but across the nation.
0: You know, you uh, have been places where you've you've seen it, and we've talked about this before in your past lives. Not only being at Purdue, but also at what uh, at Duke and in Kansas as well. Just talk about now. You know, you guys have built yourself. Uh, to a perennial or at least the last three years and really longer than that but in terms of that top 10 notion of what that's like how much that's is that different now than it was even as you is it kind of how you imagine it having experienced it uh, in your younger days w- what is it like to be sitting on that sitting on that perch and everybody trying to knock you off uh, on a daily basis as well
5: yeah, it's uh, I think, and I, I mentioned this to a group of uh, John Purdue Club members in Toronto. There was a brunch there the day yeah. of the game that I spoke to uh, some people there. They uh, had a couple hundred people in attendance at our team hotel, and and I told them kind of this very thing about building a program and like, okay, what's that look like? Like a lot of people throw that that phrase around, but what it what exactly does that mean? Um, and as someone who's been around it now for a long time, and and uh, kind of been a couple hands on the rope pulling in that direction I feel like um, it's all the things it, it it's a, t- a lot of things around the program that like for instance this game you know, on Saturday in Indianapolis it's a sellout um I, I told this same story last weekend we played Louisville down there one year in uh, I think it was the the wooden tradition and uh, there was an ice storm that Saturday and we walked out to take the floor and there was a lot of red in the stands and there wasn't a lot of gold and black. And mm-hmm. it really hit us like, man, what, what do we have to do? And and that was the team with Robbie Hummel and Etuan. So we were, we had a good team that year. We ended up winning that game. Um, and afterwards I remember talking to some, some fans and they said, well, yeah, you know, the ice storm. And I said, well, you know, Louisville had to drive through that same ice storm. Like that, that was a thing for them too. Um, so it really kind of hit, hit us in the face like, hey, we got we to gotta put a product out there that you just can't refuse. And it's taken, um, it's taken time, but I think over the last handful of years, we've gotten to that point. We've certainly gotten to that point in Mackey. Um, we've gotten to that point in a lot of our, our MTE tournaments where uh, now if I make a phone call to try to get into an event three, four, five years down the road, uh, it's like, yep, let me, uh, let me put Purdue in as soon as we can. And that comes from our fans and, and the fans that travel and the fact that they know that when Purdue shows up to the gym, we're going to have a few hundred fans in tow uh, that makes a huge deal. And that's what great programs do. That's what the, the Duke, the Carolinas, the Kentuckys, the Kansases. That's what they do. When they show up to gyms, they bring a ton of fans. They have a lot of interest around their program. They have that little number next to their name uh, and hopefully the, the lower the number, the better. Uh, that's what, um, uh, Big time programs do. And as you try to grow your program, that's one of the things that that you try to do. And to do that, you have to get players and you have to have uh, a a very um, talented team year in, year out that can compete for, you know, for big things. And and we've done that the last handful of years. You know, we're as everybody knows, we're trying to climb that mountaintop at the end of the year, like every team in the country is. And you and I've talked about it before that if you have all these things around your program and you build your program to a certain level, everybody's trying to scale the mountain Well, you get to start a little bit higher on the mountain than other teams. You know, the teams that are uh, in the three hundreds in the net rating, you know, they're starting way, way down there. You know, we're starting a little bit above base camp. And, and when I first got here, we weren't, we were, we were lower on the mountain as we try to climb that thing every year. So it's all those things you can do around, around your program to kind of put you in, in a position every year, uh, to get a great net rating, a great seeding in the NCAA tournament, and then and then make your run in March, and hopefully you win a lot of games along the way. And if you're fortunate, you can win a league tournament or a, a regular season season conference title, and have really good players and playing great games and make a lot of you know great memories and things for fans along the way. So um, that's all all goes into building an elite program, and at least the way I look at it.
0: Yeah, you're an operations guy, but you're also a, a major role with, with the players on this team because you just are ingrained in everything that goes on. Look at, uh, on Wednesday night, Chicago State beats Northwestern. This is the world of college basketball. Right, and I think, right. it's, and not to get into uh, cycle analysis, but just the interesting part of that in terms of dealing with that uncertainty is you don't know, yes, Purdue's playing Arizona on Saturday, but you're going to have to play... Jacksonville State and Eastern Kentucky. And I, and I know that's down the road, but that's just the, that, that, that mentality and how you guys deal with that as a staff is that anything's possible in this game and you have to be wary of pitfalls, but you also have to look at opportunities uh, almost equal those out as you as you move forward.
5: No doubt. And, and I actually like that. Those always happen this time of year. You know, you get yeah. a handful of teams that stub their toe because they're already on break and mentally they're probably somewhere else. Um, those always come up. I keep, a, every year I keep a running list of those games. So you can bet that when next week, when we're prepping for, you know, the Jacksonville and the Eastern Kentucky, um, those are going to get brought up and, and I'll hand coach Painter a list. that will have all those teams that, you know, a list of those games. And he'll say, Hey, like, you know, it, it's not just lip service. Like this happens year in year out to teams that don't stay mentally focused until the last day of break and then okay then get away for four or five days and get your mind off of things but until then you know let's focus on the task at hand and um, you know we're in a day and age where young people their attention's more divided than ever I don't think I'm exactly breaking news by saying (laughs) we're all guilty of that to some respect with our phones and everything and our faces buried in our phone all the time Um, so it's a it's a more of a challenge to keep people locked in um, and I would also say that, in this day and age, the way teams are assembled, you know, you have teams yeah. that haven't been together as long, and so we've we've been very fortunate to be at the low end of turnover and the high end of retention over the last few years and, and and in in all of college basketball, not just among big ten teams, but really nationally, we've had as low a turnover as you're gonna find, and that's a that's a big deal because our guys now understand what's Uh, the way we operate what's expected of them how to approach each game how to prepare for each game and there's teams around the country that are still figuring that out they're still learning about their head coach they may have only played eight or nine games for their current head coach and they're trying to figure out what makes him tick and what does he want from from me as an individual player Uh, we don't have a lot of those questions in our locker room our guys pretty much know what's expected of them what coach Painter wants what our staff wants how we go about our business. Um, I said, after we played Alabama, I said, that's a really, really good team. And I think they're just going to get better and better as the year goes on, but they've got a lot of new pieces. You know, they've played eight or nine games together this year. Um, I, I have a feeling that in a few years, you're going to see a lot of lobbying from teams to try to do a foreign trip every year. uh, So teams can really like try to gel quicker. They don't have to wait till, you know, September 25th to begin that process, because I think that's a real thing. Um, And and it's going to be, more of a challenge year in, year out for teams that spend so much time in the portal to try to get their teams, you know, on the same page and solidified as quickly as they can.
0: One of the many hats you wear we talked is, is scheduling, uh and that started. Uh you guys went to Europe this year uh and competed and that was and that's it's been the process of that I know goes years in advance. But you also have run a gauntlet here of of uh, and somebody, I think somebody in some other podcast talked about the fact that uh, you've you, you're not even gonna, and this is not not underestimating what you might see in the NCA tournament, but when you start with Xavier Gonzaga, uh, Tennessee, uh, who was it, today? uh, uh, uh Alabama, Arizona. Hard to imagine it's going to be any more difficult in the NCAA tournament, no matter who you face. But talk about that design and knowing what your team is, or what you hoped your team would be at this point in time. And uh, how that scheduling has worked out that sort of there's some strategy, so to speak, in that uh, process.
5: Yeah, and it started too going down to Arkansas and playing that. exhibition. Yeah. you know, <laughs> that was a that was a, a great lesson for our guys. Um, and it was one, too, that, um, you know, I know Brian's documented it pretty well that we didn't necessarily have a full prep for that game. That was a little bit by design. Um, not the worst thing to lose those, uh, those exhibition games. I know sometimes fans hear that and they scratch their head and they can't understand that. Um, and that's okay. It's not for them to understand. <laughs> um, it's, it, it, it's one of those things we're going down there, no matter the outcome, if you win by 40, if you lose by 40, it was going to be a great experience for our guys because for two reasons, you go into a real environment, a true road environment that we saw in Evanston, yeah. um, but we haven't seen a true road environment like we will, you know, coming up after the new year. Um, but also the t- the kind of team that Arkansas is a long athletic team that plays with, you know, five athletes on the floor at the same time, they get up and down fast paced, um, defensively challenging, trying to take us out of the stuff that we do. Um, that game really helped pay dividends for Xavier, who has one of the fastest paces of play in the country and got up yeah. and down. Um, Gonzaga, same thing, Tennessee, same thing, Marquette, same thing. I mean, it was, it's like a broken record. There's a, there's a lot of, um, there's a, a, I don't want to say it's a trend, but it's kind of a trend in college basketball to really get up and down um, a little bit more than normal fast paced offenses, things of that nature. You're seeing more teams go that route. And so for us, um, that was important to get exposed to that early. We knew the schedule was going to be loaded with teams like that. And the schedule was put together with big names. Um, we can't take credit for all of it because Maui was kind of served up to us, right? Yeah. So we got in the Maui field a few years ago, but it happened to be a great year because all those teams happened to be having good seasons on um, that on this particular season. So um, it was great to get tested with a variety of those teams. You know, Tennessee is more of a defensive-minded team. Um, Alabama is more of an offensive-minded team. Both SEC teams that have a lot of athletes well coached. So we feel like we've had a lot of different experiences as we look at film leading into this game. Arizona might be the most talented team that we've played to date. So um, another challenge and a team that has probably the most talented front line of anybody we've seen so far. Um, So yet, you know, another new wrinkle that we have to kind of adapt to. It's safe to say that we'll get through this non-conference and then when we get through the Big Ten there will probably not be a type scenario or team that we'll, we won't have faced as we head towards postseason way down the road. So, um, you know, all that stuff is really great to prepare you and stuff for March, but it also challenges you going into the Big Ten season. We've said, you know, Coach Painter said it, as long as he's been here, if you can compete for a Big Ten title, you're, you're going to be able to compete for a high seed and and compete for to get to a Final Four, and that's at the end of the day what we want.
0: Yeah. Right, David Neff Neff and Mark Carney were our last segment guests. NIL, collectives, all these things that uh, I you're you're a guy that always flies the jet, as Gene Katie would say, looking five years ahead. But I don't think in 2018 you saw this happening as smart as you are. But tell me about what you know, David just getting started uh in this role as a as the president and CEO of of the Boilermaker Alliance, but you've had a little bit of time, even though it's still a moving target, all of it is, but where are you seeing this? And what do you think is really going to be important? If you're David Neff in this job, what does he have to deliver uh, that will help not only pretty men's basketball, but, but athletics as well?
5: Yeah, I think, you know, you're going to have to be nimble, number one, because, <laughs> you know, these seismic changes that have happened at the NCAA level, if any one of those changes would have come to fruition, it would have been a lot of dealing with <laughs> let alone all of them at the same time. You know, yeah. we had conference realignment, you had the portal, you had name image likeness, you have the NCAA who, let's be honest, it, you know, president Baker's probably the, the the hail Mary to try to save the NCAA in yeah. its current structure. Yeah. Um, if he can't get done what he wants to get done through, through the power of five conferences or four conferences now, um, dissolve the NCAA and go their own way. You know, there's a lot of TBDs, and so I think I think Dave and, and Mark and you know Dave's taking over now is going to have to be really nimble and be willing to be able to you know learn how to pivot quickly and move on to the next thing if he needs to. Um, there's obviously talk of some legislation in Congress of trying to get a little bit of a hold on NIL and moderate that to a certain extent. I don't know if that'll be successful if they're track records any indicator we may be waiting a while yeah um so there's a lot of stuff that you know could change down the road but in in the in the immediate right now here you know at purdue and and how he can help make an impact it's obviously getting funding and getting that base growing in in the collective um you know there's some other collectives around the country that have a lot of members that necessarily don't give huge amounts, but collectively it turns into a nice amount. And I think if there's anybody that's watching this or, you know, is a Purdue supporter and wants to see us continue to be successful, wants to see football, you know, get players and compete at a high level as they move into, you know, the West and East now being all part of one and, and a new phase in, in what Big Ten's and what the Big Ten's going to look like. Uh, consider, you know, jumping in on the collective and helping us out in that regard. And it doesn't have to be a, a huge amount of money. You know, I I think there's room in this space for that Purdue grad who lives in, you know, out in Las Vegas, and he can't get back or she can't get back for games all the time. So really, what's my incentive to be a high level John Purdue Club member if I'm not getting the points and the tickets and the seating and the parking? I'm not coming back for games. You know, the collective is a great way to help and it's a great way to kind of have a, a donation like kind of Netflix style where, you know, you're it's a monthly installment and you, you really don't miss it at the end of the day uh, unless you really scrutinize your credit card bill and then you might. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if you can do it and you and you can help out in that regard, a little bit goes a long way. And I think uh, that's one of the goals that uh, they're going to have is to continue to grow that number and uh, and be able to support the teams. All
0: right. One of the um... Couple more questions as we get come to the end of this segment, but want to talk about you know again juggling that notion of uh, Washington, Oregon, UCLA, and USC. What do you see scheduling looking like? Um, do you is that I know there's still still some a lot of moving parts in that. I would assume as you get to 24, 25, in that first year, of those teams being in this league. How do you see that uh, landing or or what needs to be done to get that uh, figured out?
5: Yeah, the first thing we got to get figured out as a league is how many conference games we're going to. You know, do we want to stay at 20? Do we want to go to 21, 22? You know, what's that going to look like? I think they're getting closer to a decision there that will at least give us the blueprint. You know, we're scheduling for next season right now. And so, um with the, the Gavit games going away, the ACC challenge going away, you know, it, there's, a, there's a bigger challenge on our end to try to get some home and homes established so we can continue to see um, good teams for us to play, but also um, good teams for our fans to see in Mackey every year. You know, we've always tried to get at least one marquee non-conference home game um, that we feel like would be an attractive game to get fans to and 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 things of that nature. So we're going to continue to work towards that, but it really helps to know how many league games you're playing before you get too far down the road on that stuff. And we hope to have an answer relatively soon in that regard. And that will allow us to know kind of how to schedule accordingly. Um, the, The other, the other piece is just who we're going to play, how many times, you know, if you go to, if you stay at 20 games, you know, you're going to, everybody's going to have a protected rival and then you're going to have much more a lot more single plays than you would this year you know this year i think we have six single plays we'll go to more obviously as you add more teams um and so there'll be a little maybe there'll be some years where there's an imbalance of the schedule um but that's just the way it's going to be people are going to have to get over that and if you win the league on a year where you maybe played a little less saltier schedule so be it don't apologize take your trophy and celebrate it and uh and and on the flip side of that if you played All the big boys in a certain year and you thought maybe you had a little unfair slate, that's part of it. That's the new day and age we're in. So, um, you you know, you try to worry about the things you can control. Um, About going West, I think that we're going to have a lot easier than the teams out West. You know, they're going to have to come our way a lot more. I think the league is going to be pretty creative in terms of working with people and with teams and to create scenarios that work. Um, What I mean by that is, If there's a West Coast school that says, you know what, based on our semester setup, and I don't know if those schools are quarters or semesters, I'm not sure. But let's say they say, you know what, we're actually off from classes this week. Why don't you send us east and we'll play three games. We'll do a three-game swing and knock out Maryland, Rutgers, and Penn State. We'll do it all in one swing and then we'll head, head back west. If they would propose those kind of things and it works in the schedule and the TV structure, and that's a lot of things, a lot of boxes to check. But if that happens, I could see the league, you know, partnering with with schools and, and helping them out in that regard. I think when we go West, it sounds like we're probably going to go to LA and play both teams or go North and play both teams, but there probably won't be a scenario where you go West in January and then West again in February. I think they're going to have it set up where you're going to go West one time and be able to knock out whoever you're going to knock out and then, and then head back and and get back acclimated to, uh, to stuff around here. So that's all how it's kind of sounding right now. I know some of it's up in the air and uh, it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. And, and uh, we'll be getting to those teams really well. Cause I'll be, they will be my first phone call when I ask them what hotels we're staying at and how things work out there on the travel. So.
0: I think AI is going to come in handy. I don't know how you pick it Just the <laughs> logistics, and all that is going to be. Somebody's going to have to plug that in somewhere and see how see how that can work out. I, it's fascinating on that set. Last question, obviously, Indianapolis is a big focus of Purdue athletics. Purdue University, clearly, we know that already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your your desire to continue, obviously, when you have a game, a marquee game like like a uh, Saturday against Arizona, it doesn't get any bigger than that. But that I assume is even through all this all this 21 22 games or whatever you can play in the Big 10 still going to remain a focus of yours to to have a presence in that city.
5: Yeah, we always want to get down to Indy. Um and I think the the Indy Classics getting some momentum. I mean, it, it's helped that, you know, us in Arizona have sold yeah. the place out for this year, um, which will be a big a big day. Um Ball State and Indiana State in the other game of that as we talk with the Annapolis Sports Corp and and trying to continue to grow that, you know, I hope, I, I don't know, I hope our fans feel like that's an annual thing that we should be doing because we certainly feel that way. And, I, and I, I love hearing the stories of when fans talk about how they make that part of their annual tradition, you know, whether it's going to Indy and going out to eat, watching us play, tying in some shopping to it, whatever it might be. Uh, that's the whole, that's kind of the premise behind it. You know, we always enjoy it. It's the end of finals week. Our guys can kind of exhale and relax a little bit academically. We head down to Indy to play that game. It's always kind of been a good time of year for us. Um, we hope our fans feel the same way. That certainly seems like uh, uh, they do, at least for this weekend. We hope next year can continue. It will be hard to continue to get opponents the caliber of Arizona. That's just no the, the blunt truth. Um, the reason being is that with Arizona, we're going to return that game next year in Las Vegas. Uh, and, what ends up happening is we can't return a game every year because then you start stacking up returns and then it eliminates chances to bring good teams to Mackey because those have to be returned as well. So there'll be some years where we'll do returns and you'll see a really good opponent. There'll be other years where you'll see a good opponent, maybe not top five opponent, but you'll see a good opponent. And those are the probably the years we don't have to return that game. Um, so it'll be a little bit of a mix over the next few years, but it's certainly a, a, a game that we want to continue to keep on the schedule.
0: Yeah, no question. It is going to be uh, a, a, as big a game uh, as as Purdue has had in terms of at least numbers next to your name, one versus three uh is uh never happened in pretty basketball history so that's a that's a cool thing from that standpoint at least from uh the boilers being ranked third heading in a number one opponent all right we wish you well uh and safe travels always I, and
5: i did want stuff i did want to bring up something yeah, go ahead by to, all you means you talked about the beginning you know growing a program and this will be a little bit of a plug too so it's not totally not totally selfless so this year in, uh, at the end of May and June, we're starting a fantasy camp, Purdue basketball oh. fantasy camp. Um, we announced it, uh, I guess about a month ago on social media. And again, oh. that's another one of those layers to a program and a handful of programs do this across the country. Uh, but this will be a four day, um, 35 and older camp. Um, it'll be for basically a, Anybody who's really into basketball or really into Purdue, if you check either of those boxes, this will be a, a camp that will be right up your alley. We're going to have guys come in, put them up over at the Union. They're going to get a ton of Purdue gear. Um, our coaches are going to coach the camp. Uh, we're going to have a lot of former players back. Um, when we set this up, it was right around the beginning of the year when we announced it because Robbie Hummel had our opener against Sanford, and he said, yeah. Bloom that fancy camp. What a great idea. And he, and I could tell what he was hinting. And I go, well, dude, you're on my list to call because I want you to come back and work. And he goes, Oh, great. Cause I was, I was going to ask you, can I come back and work it? So we're going to get a lot of our former kind of player legends to come back and work, uh, help coach. Um, you're going to be immersed in our locker room, film room, training room, uh, play competition in Mackey and Cardinal court uh, practice with our coaches It'll be really, really cool. Um, we're going to have some evenings where we'll have uh, some nice dinners. We're going to go out to Coach Painter's house for a cookout one day. So it'll be a true behind-the-scenes uh, Purdue basketball experience. So I know there's a lot of uh, your readers and, and listeners and watchers and everybody out there that are uh, that are obviously diehard. So if anybody uh, wants to give a great Christmas gift, uh, that would be a, a make a Purdue fan's year, I would think.
0: All right. Well, they, and they can do that. There is there any link or any place to go just yet for that? Yeah,
5: Purdue basketball camps dot com has all of our summer camp information, and that's on there as well. It takes you to the Purdue Fantasy Camp, Purdue basketball Fantasy Camp dot com is our our site. You can print off an application there and send it to the basketball office. And uh, we're getting them coming in right now, and and uh, getting a pretty good list together. I talked to a gentleman out in, in uh, Hawaii that was uh, with the John Purdue Club. and He said, you know, I think I might be getting a little bit older. And I said, well, we're not having professionals come here. You know, like Rob's yeah. going to be working the camp. He's not playing in the camp. I said, so yeah. it'll be a good time. And uh, our, our coaches are all looking forward to it as well. Just
0: make sure your liability insurance is paid. Yeah, up. I'm talking right. about for the yeah, members. Just- I I'm 29 years too old for that. I, I, I think it'd be a heck. It sounds like a great idea and, and, and a fun group of people too, though. They, whoever gets a chance to do that, will have an absolute blast. I'm sure. So I appreciate that uh, shameless plug. It's not shameless at all. That's uh, very relevant to our group. So anyway, wish you happy holidays and, uh, and you and your, your group at the, with uh, Purdue men's basketball, always treat us uh, and Brian and and Carm and everybody else about as good as uh, any outfit can do, and we appreciate that so much. We want to thank State Farm agent Trent Johnson at TrentIsMyAgent.com and Triple X on the Hill, but on the level of Purdue tradition since 1929. The good folks at WLFI, also Gordon Jackson and Mary wish you happy holidays. We'll be back with our weekly shows. Uh, we might even have Mr. Bloom on to talk a little more about that fantasy camp late in the season, but uh, we'll be back with our weekly shows second week of January as well. So have a great holiday, everybody. Thanks again for watching and listening, and we'll look forward to seeing you after the new year in 2024. So uh, again, thanks so much.